Good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host Andrew Morgan. How you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I can't believe it's still January. Um, I'll be glad when this month is over. But uh, yeah, good break and good to be back. Uh, we've got a busy couple of weeks and uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty good. And how about you, buddy? Pretty good. Just trying to get caught up after a, a summit. Um, it seems like 2016 is starting off just as fast as 2015 ended. So I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but I'm staying busy. Um, but let's kind of jump into things today. So we have Ron Oglesby on with us today. I'm going to talk about some of his background, um, talk about the new Unidesk release and, you know, the announcements coming fresh off of Summit. So how you doing today, Ron? Oh, I'm awesome. It's uh, it's sales kickoff week here at Unidesk. So that generally means there's too many meetings during the day and too many evenings that run way too late. <laughs> I can understand that. So it's like your, your summit this week or last week and then having sales kickoff. It must be a busy two weeks for you then. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, we do we did a summit and that that was crazy full. And, and this week was sales kickoff. And uh, next week, I actually have a week where I'm just in the office and I actually get to do real work for a little bit. And then I've got other events, right? I've got Microsoft Tech ready and a um, bunch of other stuff queuing up after that. So it's it's disgustingly busy here in 2016. Nice. So a, go ahead. Andy. It's a good way to be. I was just going to say it's a good way to be, and it's a, it's a good sign for for um, for Unidesk, obviously. Um, very yeah. excited about your announcements uh, and over 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 uh, so much timeline. So it was good to see. But uh, anyway, that was just me jumping in, Jerry, and fire away. <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just saying. You know, we always like to get um, people's background when they join us here on the Frontline Chatter podcast. And um, oh, yeah. just before the call kind of started, we were talking about some stuff about Ron that I didn't know. But Ron, <laughs> tell us about your background and your journey. Well, you know, starting with IT and and, and those type yeah. of things. Well, trying, you know, me getting into IT was, I, I, sometimes I think that there was nothing else I was going to do. I didn't know that, but it was eventually I was going to wind up in IT somehow. I mean, I was in the Navy and, and did my time in the service. And then I got out and I really didn't know what to do, right? Like I did a bunch of stuff. I was, uh, uh, I went to the PPG school to learn automotive paint <clears throat> and painted cars. I grew up in a car household. My dad's a body man. And um, after about a year of painting cars, I decided that really sucked. Um, and then I actually got into car sales and I sold new and used cars and I was like the worst car salesman in the history of the planet. I, I, uh, I guess I was honest with people, right? I told them, I'm like, yeah, you could probably get this car for two grand less. And that didn't help my commission any. Um, and I did a bunch of things, you know, I was, a I, I sold cars during the day. I was a bouncer at night and I, I ran security for a club in Chicago that used to get Oh, 1,800 people a night through the door, right? So, uh, everything from the bouncers to the cameras and 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 all of that. And but all that time that I was doing all these different things after the service, I was uh, I was a geek, right? And and I, Jerry, and you probably remember this back when there were computer shows, right? You went to the computer show and you could buy your 800 megabyte hard drive and uh, your board and your processor and you built computers and. I was that geek. I'd show up at the computer shows and buy stuff and, you know, try to get TIE Fighter to run and, and play games and was always gaming. And um, after a while, I was literally, uh, I was, uh, had painted cars and I was looking in, uh, back when you looked at newspapers for jobs, I was looking in a newspaper one day for uh, a job and this guy had a, had a, uh, a position that said, uh, looking for an automotive painter that understands how to use computers. 
And right up I, my alley. <laughs> yeah. And I, I said, well, I know how to paint. And I know how to use computers. And it turned out it was a sign shop. It was a shop that uh, made big signs. And they used computers to do all the layouts and, and uh, cut stencils. But they used automotive painting techniques to do the painting. And I went in and showed them I could, you know, that, God, this is back, you know, the pre-Windows 95 days and maybe right around Windows 95. And uh, within like a year, I had networked all his computers and now we were feeding things over the network to these gigantic plotters. And uh, a friend of mine had got a job at a software company in Chicago and said, man, you know, I, you're the guy I call when I have a problem. And they just gave me a job and support. You ought to come check it out. And I did. I went in. I took a I took a big pay cut and got into computers, picking up the phone, you know, uh, when people had a, a problem with our software. And uh, that's where kind of everything really started because I got introduced to this weird software called Citrix. Uh, it was WinFrame at the time. And for some reason, everybody avoided it. So when people avoid things, I kind of drift to them. And so I figured out how to make, you know, Intel uh, NetPort and JetDirect printers to work. And, and uh, uh, because I could make printing work on WinFrame, I somehow became very valuable. And that's when I started. I got out of that uh, software company. I joined a consulting company. And that was it. It was Citrix for a lot of years for me. And then uh, uh, got into virtualization and, and ESX when that was early, uh, way back when. And now I've kind of come back full circle, if you will, right? At, at Unidesk, I wasn't uh, when I first joined you at desk, it, VDI wasn't cool, right? I wasn't into VDI. What I was in was to their layering technology that they were showing me, and uh, but it's brought me back full circle, right? Now I'm I'm back in EUC heavy and and doing a lot more end user stuff. Where uh, for you know kind of the mid 2000s, I ran around doing all the ESX stuff, right, and doing a lot of server design and and data center stuff. Wow. Okay, that's that's some history. And yeah, I mean, I, I I echo what you say. Even in this day and age, if you can manage to get printers working in Zen app, you're doing well, <laughs> and you're a popular person. So it's amazing how that one thing hasn't been fixed yet. But how on earth? It's a it's a real pain in the bum. So I mean, yeah, I mean, for you know, myself and Darren are very familiar with Unidesk. But I mean, in a you know, in in, in a couple of minutes, could you describe what Unidesk do, do today uh, before the announcements? I mean, uh, where do Unidesk fit in in your in your standard company for those yeah. who aren't aware? Yeah, so like uh, for the past six years, uh, up until now, right, Unidesk has primarily been uh, a VDI type company, right? We have uh, the how we do it uh, is we have a layering technology, uh, file system and registry virtualization. Um, and we really use that to solve some problems in VDI, right? People had 50 different gold images and 50 different VMware view pools. And when you had to update Windows 7, you updated, you know, however many gold images or pools you had, you updated them 30 times. And we gave them an alternative to say, no, we'll layer, uh, we'll be able, because of this layering technology, you don't have to put any apps in your gold image. Therefore, you only have one. Uh, and when you update Windows, you update it once. Or when you update Office, you update it once, even though Office might be in, you know, 20 different pools. Um, and that's kind of where we were for like five years. Uh, we had a personalization layer, right, that allowed people to have a desktop that field, uh, felt like they had a persistent machine, but underneath the IT guy had, you know, patch once, distribute to money, many, kind of a non-persistent management model. And uh, a lot of that's obviously changed in the last year. Um, 
but that was our big thing was to was to be able to layer any app to really have high high application compatibility and make it really easy for that VDI admin to manage you know crazy complex desktop configurations. So you guys were kind of the pioneers of the application layering and the and the user personalization separated off from from kind of um, you know non persistent clones and you guys were out there way before everybody else. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we were the first ones doing it. Right. Uh, we were told we were crazy a lot, which probably meant that that we were really first. Um, other people are doing layering now, right? There's different uh, products. There's different ways people are doing it. Um, but yeah, I think that we were we were the earliest uh, the earliest kind of layering company uh, back when no one knew what layering was. Right? We kept saying layering, and and uh, everyone's like, "Well, I don't understand what layering is." Now, you know, everyone in the EUC space has has seen or touched some type of layering software. So, if this were the Matrix, uh, Unidesk and Ron would be the architect. Yeah, uh, no, Chris would be Chris, our CTO, would be the architect. I might be the guy that's setting up the servers behind him or something. I, you know, I'm. I'm not going to take credit for for inventing it. I just like it. <laughs> yeah, we like it too, and obviously the industry likes it too. Because as I mentioned, a lot of people have followed you in that same vision as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so getting on the, on the new version here, and we, we kind of got a background of Unidesk. So, you know, we, we kind of got some history of it and, and what Unidesk is, and so now it's kind of getting to the the evolution. So, you guys were kind of like. You know, just bring your broker and we'll do the rest. But you, you, you kind of evolved since then. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that, you know, we realized, uh, especially in the last year, we, we, we started realizing it obviously a year or two ago, but uh, we started uh, putting ourselves in a position to make some changes architecturally. Uh, but it was just like you said, it was like bring your broker, um, drop in Unidesk and have a nice day. Uh, that... It, it really played well because layering, one of the great things about the technology from an app perspective is that it's, it's really simple for someone to learn. Um, if you think about when you first introduce App V to someone, right? Yeah, we like to show people walking through a wizard and hitting next and look, App V is easy. But when they really want to do, if they want to uh, virtualize uh, Microsoft Office, right? There's a nine page document on how to do it. And that's, we wanted to make it simple, and that's why uh, a lot of admins dug us, right? They they messed with AppV or ThinApp or or pick your AppVert technology, and when they said, "Oh, well, I've got this one app that you know we've been using for ten years, and I can't virtualize it," and they try putting it in a layer, and it just works the first time, right? And there's no magic or voodoo, or they just installed it into a layer, and now they're attaching it to desktops, and it's awesome. Um, so it was just like that. It was like a very simple model that, that people could get into. Uh, the friction that we had historically was that we replaced components of other people's systems, right? So uh, VMware is an example. People might already be a composer shop. They're using composer. They have 15 pools. And we say we have a way to fix that. But the way we fixed it was we took over the provisioning of the desktop, right? So you didn't need composer anymore. But what if they like Composer somewhat? Or PVS, right? Some people really love Citrix PVS. PVS is a great image deployment tool, but it has no visibility into the content. So if I have, you know, 10 different silos, I still have 10 different images. And so, so we, didn't, we wanted to get into a world where we weren't just replacing what's out there. And we also wanted to build an architecture uh, based on layering that could be used in the cloud. You know, all these layering techniques of, of snapping a, a, a VHD or a VMDK 
onto a virtual machine at the virtual machine level and not within Windows, let's say, that stuff doesn't work in the cloud, right? You have no visibility into that. You can't run into, um, you know, Microsoft Azure or Amazon and, and add in two and three and five different virtual disks to a machine. Not only do you barely have the commands and APIs to do that, uh, a lot of times they won't even allow you to, or they'll only allow you to add two disks or something like that. So we had to make a we had to make a change and say, how do we take our layering and you know all the things that people like about it? You know, it's simple to use. You can you can package pretty much any application. And if someone says, I want to use your layering with PVS, we just want to say yes. Oh, I want to use your layering with Azure. Yes, right. We we wanted to do that, and that's what all of our architectural and our recoding in the last year have all been about. It's about making layers portable across platforms. We don't. We want you if you build a layer on on vSphere today, and you've got an image there, an OS, and a bunch of apps, and tomorrow you want to try running it on Hyper V, or you want to try to move it up into Azure. We want those layers to not have to be rebuilt. People don't have to rebuild their OSs. They don't have to repackage their apps. They just push a button and move it. And now they've got portability. Now they've got one copy of an app, whether it's running here or in the other data center or in the cloud, and it'll work across all those platforms. And that's really what our whole 4.0 release has been about. Yeah, and you, you kind of hit on two things that you know I, I've kind of run into over the years of working with, with Unidesk as well, is that um, you know one, you guys have pretty much been the product that can pretty much do anything. You know, there really hasn't been many situations where your product hasn't worked with an, an application um, like some other products. So, you know, that's mm -hmm. always the feedback I get is the easy, the ease of use and being able to hit pretty much majority of the use cases um, that people are using it for. And then the other, you know, was kind of a, the adoption barrier of you guys pretty much being everything but the broker. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's good to see that you guys, you know, changing the architecture and, and being able to um, open up to, you know, people like you said, who are using Link Clones or who are using PVS or MCS and, and so forth, um, but still get the benefit to, of using your guys' technology now um, without yeah. having to change their image management solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that one of the things that that a lot of people miss, um, and it's not that they don't understand it, right? There's a lot of smart people in this business, obviously, but. Um, because of the way our businesses are run, we have to sell something today, right? So everybody runs around talking about, you know, here's what I can sell today, right? And, and let's face it, 99% of EUC is all done on-prem, right? It, it's, it's, you know, vSphere hosts and, and Zen Desktop or vSphere and View or, or some Zen server. Um, and so they're looking to build tools that fit what somebody is doing today. What they ignore is that, you know, what does somebody want to do tomorrow, right? What if they want to change hypervisors? What if they're running parallel environments, right? They have they have ZenApp running on Zen Server, uh, or maybe even vSphere, and they've been running it forever. But they also have a parallel environment that's vSphere and and View Horizon View, and their CIO is pushing them to try to move some desktops or some apps into the cloud. But that's a different management tool, right? We need to, as, as vendors, right, we actually have to think beyond just this quarter or, or next quarter and start to say, how do we make their apps, that admin who has to package an app right now, how do we make it so when his boss says, hey, move this over here, or his boss and, and the, the architects say, we have to find a better uh, a platform that's uh, less cost, uh, has less cost for these apps because they're not as performance driven, and not have five different tools, right? Not have... 
uh, an app, oh, this one's an app V, this one's baked into the image, this one we put into a layer. This, how do we make it easy for them to move that app around without refactoring and, and repackaging? And I think that while it's cool to say we don't have friction with, let's say, PVS customers now, or we won't have friction if you want to upload your, your uh, a composited image into Azure, I think what's really cool is how does it impact the day-to-day -day life of the admin as things just keep changing around him? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. I, I I hear what you're saying about administrators being precious about the tools that they're currently using. I mean, if you're you know, I mean, there are certain kind of sadomasochists out there who absolutely do or do do love the composer kind of you know from from Horizon, and I, I'd argue that the same category for PVS as well. But however, you know, it, it's it's great to see that you're you're fleshing out that architecture. Personally, I, I saw no um, problem with with the way you guys handled everything. I thought your management console was very intuitive, and I thought you know the way you, you did things was 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 simplistic to, to, to in the best way um but i mean obviously the, the announcements you you made uh were, were at some of this um or you know do some of this uh, this month uh how has the partner feedback been from that like i mean how, how were the guys coming up to the booth after the announcements yeah yeah so we had uh it, it was really good the partners uh the partners were awesome the the feedback was awesome um one of the interesting things that that we kept getting it so for those that don't know um uh, we announced our Unidesk 4 uh, technology this uh, here in Summit. Uh, the first version of it, uh, which is an integration with uh, Citrix PVS. But what we've done is taken our, our existing layering technology where, where we can put the OS in a layer, apps in a layer, pretty much anything in a layer. Uh, and you as the admin get to choose how you want to deploy it and where. If you want to run it on PVS, you want to layer up an image on PVS and, and, uh, and, you know, give me office, give me this OS, give me the, the Zen VDA and push and push it to PVS. Or if you want to hot add applications into that, you get to pick and we don't care what the underlying infrastructure is, right? Maybe tomorrow you're going to upload it to Azure remote app as an image. Great. We don't care. Maybe you want to hot add apps. We don't care. And, and the feedback we got from partners was really interesting from a, a partnering perspective they um, they like that there's no friction. Uh, they really like that that there's no friction. They they don't have to go in and say rip out PVS right or hey we're a view composer shop uh, rip that out. Uh, what they also liked was when we showed them our hot ad. We took a unique pro approach with our hot ad. Uh, the VHDs or VHDXs that are now containing app layers, uh, they're portable and they're self-describing, meaning. Once we put them out on a UMC path and you tell either a Windows client or, you know, a ZenApp client uh, to point to that, everything they need is in that path. It's just got metadata, uh, little files that goes along with the layer. So now what they got stoked about was the ability to replicate those layers. They say, wait a minute, you're telling me that I can have uh, Unidesk dump these layers to a path. Uh, the Windows client finds the path. It has a, a setting in the client that looks for it. And if I want to replicate that for DR, I just replicate that over to a different path on the other side and the clients over there point to it and we say, yeah, well, wait a minute. What you're saying is I can take those and copy those to some file service in the cloud and run VMs in the cloud and mount layers there too. You, you don't even have to be involved in that. And we're like, yeah. And they really got, that's where the partners really got stoked, right? Everybody loves layering, um, but being able to make them portable and giving uh, not just consultants, but their customers options. 
right? Locking them into to some type of replication that we specify or locking them into some type of VM. Hey, you can only run this on vSphere. Or, hey, you can only run this on Hyper-V. Or, or hey, you have to have access to vSphere and vCenter, and we have to be able to connect disks up through vCenter and all that stuff. They really want that flexibility of they get to pick where the, where the layers live. They get to pick if they move them. They get to pick how things replicate. And they, they really become a portable, you know, kind of easy to use application platform that they can snap in based on the design they're trying to implement for the client. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that architecture of flexibility, even in a, even in a, you know, a, an active active or an active passive data center model. I mean, if you're architecting a, a solution for Horizon or for a Citrix app disk, although it hasn't been released yet, or you know, from playing with the with the tech preview, you can kind of tell how it's going to go. Every technology works swimmingly up to a certain point. Where oh, wait sure. a second, how, how do I get that file over there? And how do I make sure that when stuff is over there, they can connect back into it easily? You know, and it, it generally in those designs, it's when you're having to stop, drop, and replicate changes on both sides. In a sense that you know you you kind of have to do, do X, Y, or Z in site A, and then do X, Y, or Z in site B, and then make an action as part of your DOR or your business uh-huh. continuity plan to to map everything back in again. So the the way that you guys are doing that is phenomenal from a design point of view, from an integration point of view, and then there's also the benefit that you know, while each vendor may have a specific layering technology that they have available in their stack, Unidesk goes across all of those stacks, giving you access to 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 use a you know a single kind of image management solution for whatever way you want to go with with that with that kind of architecture flexibility. Yeah. So I, I think it's phenomenal. I really yeah. really like it, and I think the way the, the the path you've taken is is um is absolutely the right path to have taken. So pat on the back to you, gentlemen. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a hard thing to do, right? Layering isn't easy. Um, it, I always laugh when I talk to someone who, who has a, a some you know a cursory understanding of how layering works. Right? They understand there's a file system filter or a registry splitter, and and they go, oh well, you're just you're just mounting a VHD and you know uh, loading up a file system filter, and anyone can make a layer. And in one hand, they're right. Yeah, I could have somebody write that in a couple of days. You've got a basic layer. Um, the craziness of layering is all the under the other stuff, right? How do, how do you get drivers to work, right? When you got to touch the Windows driver store, how do you, what do you do with services if you're mounting that thing at login and, and the app has a service, right? What, what goes out and starts that or, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> pardon me. And those are the things that I think um, you have to make it stupid easy for the app to be portable because all of these other things are what's hard. Figure out that hard stuff. Figure out how to make apps work. Consultants and field guys and, and internal architects and IT guys, they'll figure out how they want to use it. You know what I mean? And how many environments have we all seen where there's a big Zen app environment, they've got you know a couple hundred Zen app servers, and they're hosting maybe a medical records app on it, and then right next to it's a 2,000-seat view deployment running VDI, and... Then there's the IT guy that's in charge of Vue. There's a different group in charge of ZenApp. And, oh, by the way, we have an SCCM shop <laughs> because we still have some fat clients out there that we're pushing packages to. How does layering fit into that? Do you want to be a layering tech that chases the VDI piece? Do you want to be a layering tech that you know only snaps onto ZenApp? Or do you want to try to really create an application model that um, if I want to put a layer into an SCCM package and copy it down, I want that to be possible for someone, you know, and, 
And that's what, it, it, again, it goes back to my mindset that I always, I always think of that admin. I think of that guy who's, who's having to live with a product every day. And either we make it easy for that guy or you're, you're not successful, right? You're not successful. And, and I, I want to go across platforms. I want to make a layering tech that literally we don't care. I don't care what you run. Take our layers. Here's how you integrate them. Enjoy it, right? Knock yourself out. And then you become, I think that's when you become a really good technology, a really good company, and not just a, a layering tech, right? Not just some application deployment tech. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, the, the, the you know, you, you hit a really good point or a good point there, you know, in a sense that anybody can throw together a solution that, that will that will create some fashion of layering. But the the difficult piece is is getting it to actually do everything that the administrator wants it to do. Like, as you pointed out, the drivers, the, the application kind of nuances. And that, that's the secret sauce that, that's really in these technologies. And, and obviously, with your experience, or well, breadth of experience, and being pioneers in this industry, I mean, you guys are just streaks ahead in that regard. So, it's uh, you know, it's it's good to see, and and a good a good strong roadmap today, uh, and a, you know, good strong pushes towards the cloud. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 very excited to see what you guys are going to do next. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would agree as well because a lot of times, you know, you mentioned like the, the DR and the business continuity piece of it, and that's often overlooked and usually a, a big pain point for a lot of solutions. So. You know, you guys having that big picture and having the experience are, are definitely seeing all the different use cases and issues admins can run into and helping solve that problem. Well, we had to learn from that, right? We had a we had a huge DR problem, right? We designed our solution, um, you know, trying to be everything to everybody, right? Especially our early versions. Um, and with us provisioning the VMs and connecting disks to them and, and all the things that, that we did uh, versus making things portable and, and easy, um, it, it made for hard DR, right? People have a system that they loved and they're like, I want to replicate A to B. Okay, well, how do we do that? And, and like Andrew had said a few minutes ago, all of a sudden you're looking at, oh, now I got to script this and I've got to copy this and I have to re-register with a different vCenter, right? And, uh, we don't want that to happen, right? We want it to, we want a, it to fit and just be able to, and that's kind of, that's kind of why we, we now took layering and really 4.0 does two things. Right. Uh, one is that you, we still layer everything. We still have an OS layer. We still have app layers. Um, uh, but the first part of it is what we call our, our composited images or our layered images, where the IT admin can pick and choose layers that might not work as hot ad, right? Like the Zen VDA does not work as a hot ad layer. Um, the the uh, Citrix uh, provisioning server, target software, that's not hot ad, right? So maybe he picks the things that need to be in the quote-unquote image, and he says push, and he can push that out as a, it, it composites it down into a single virtual disk that he can then drop on PVS or move into Composer or upload to Azure. The second piece of the technology is that those same layers um, in the same layer repository can be hot added. It's what we call elastic layers, right? That's our marketing name for it, elastic layers. Um, but they can be hot added. So you can hot add an app into a desktop. You can hot add an app into a session. And if the app will work as a hot add, you now have a kind of a management solution for the layers for things that can be hot added and things that can't. And uh, the interesting thing that, that we found is because of the way we wrote the file system filter and stuff originally, and because, and this is a pat on the back for some of my engineering guys, because they wrote it correctly and they really followed all the rules, we figured out how to do this within the session. So we can actually uh, you know, Jarian can log in 
And if he needs Adobe 10 in his ZenApp session, it might hot add Adobe 10 and he'll see Adobe 10 in his desktop or his session. I log into the same machine and I'm supposed to get Adobe 11, I can get Adobe 11. We're essentially calling it session isolation. We're not isolating the app, but in my session, I see Adobe 11 and in your session, you see Adobe 10. And that's what Elastic Layer is really about. It's delivering the app when it's needed to the right place and you know who who needs it without having to build silos or or patch windows 20 times because you got 20 images that's kind of what all of 4.0 is about is you know being able to push an image layered image or being able to hot add and do it intelligently Sorry, we're having. Yeah, sorry, I I I missed something, and I'm I've already been briefed on you. Yes, so I I I watched the recording previously, but just to rewind that Acrobat um, example you gave there, ten and eleven, is that an RDS environment you just described? Yes, yeah, that's an RDS environment um, or Zen app, right? Whatever you want to call it, it's a session host environment. And what we found is because because the filter was uh, was written well before that, we didn't have to make many changes. Uh, to make it session aware so that my session ID would see one application and yours might see another application. But when I log out, the disk is unmounted and it was never installed in the image, even though it looked like it was in the Zen app image. Uh, oh, that, that is phenomenal. Sorry, I, I almost missed that. I mean, that, that is crossing straight over to kind of into the, the you know, the not necessarily isolation, but the isolation territory of, of AppV, really, because, I mean, you're, you're given the ability to have multiple applications that, that would have the same kind of shell extensions, two users sharing the same host. Okay, blown away. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> how do you go? I must have missed that in the brief. That is phenomenal. Yeah, we didn't talk about it too much until Synergy, our marketing guys, our marketing guys came up with the term session container, right? Elastic layers with session containers. I hate them using the, I hate using the container word, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, app virtualization. It's, it's, we're, we're really trying to stretch container there. But yeah, it's, it's essentially session based hot add layers. Um, and it's, it's, we think it's awesome. We think that it actually has a lot of promise in cloud solutions. Right where you're, where you're trying to keep the number of servers down, you're trying to be more dynamic, but then again, on-prem, you know, you go into shops that have 200 apps in ZenApp and 700 that aren't in ZenApp. Right? Well, why don't you have 700 those 700? Well, because only 15 people need this one, and only 10 people need this one, and we don't want to build silos for them. Well, what if you could hot add those? Right? Kind of get the benefits of real-time delivery that you might see with App V, let's say. Um, but you don't get the drawback of AppV where it doesn't really communicate with another app that it needs to unless you do some packaging stuff. or You know what I'm saying? We're, we're trying to essentially split the baby uh, and have our cake and eat it too with session-based hot app. Yeah, so basically you're, you're overcoming the challenge with the isolation apps where you had to have inner isolation communication between yep. the different bubbles. So you know, when it comes to like the, the layering slash container side of things, there's only a handful that can really do this on a session based host and, and you guys are one of them. So and it's a very small handful, too. So that, that's a really neat feature to have, especially when you're talking about number of images, silos, all that kind of stuff to really get those down to uh, as few as possible. Yeah. And what and what I think is while well, that's interesting to guys like us who have seen that type of problem in the field. Right. Um, what's really interesting to me about uh, this type of layering, and when we go back to the portability of a layer, is what does it mean for ISVs, right? What does it mean for a, a vendor that makes a software package uh, that's somewhat complex to install? 
and you know, 50% of their calls into their support is because of installation misconfiguration or whatever. They might want to, hey, can I put that in a layer in a VHD and say, you come to our website, you've bought our software, you want to run this on Windows 7 32-bit, click here to download this VHD, right? And what if they could hot mount that or cold mount it either way? To them, it becomes a pre-configured, correctly installed uh, VHD that they can then just tell the end customer that's buying their product, here are the five things you change to localize this for your environment. So I actually think that layering, when people start to, to, to really open their minds, it can actually become a way for ISVs to better deliver apps. It can come, come a way to deal with, you know, one-off apps that need to be uh, available in a Zen app environment. You know, there's, there's just a lot of opportunity uh, with this technology and, and the way it works. Yeah, so... So, you know, you talked about like, you know, uh, Azure and Microsoft and, and PBS mm -hmm. integration, which, you know, Microsoft kind of paved the way for you guys or not paved the way, but kind of was that the catalyst to get you guys moving into this new direction. And now the integration with, with PBS. So what, what's next for Unidesk and integration with other platforms? You know, you, you yeah. guys kind of already have that that hot ad mount VHD. So it, it's kind of pretty much open to all platforms with that. Yeah, case. yeah. The yeah, no, you're right. Microsoft kind of, uh, they asked us to do something for them. And when we did it, it kind of opened our eyes to this whole being able to create a layered image, right? Um, if you've ever looked at Azure Remote App, uh, there's no real management, right? You you get their image or you build your own and you upload it. And that's that's the option. And and one of the things they asked us one day when we were talking about Azure and, and Azure Remote App and we were trying to understand um, how do we fit our technology into various cloud vendors, one of their people just said, well, why can't you just build an image, right? You've got all these layers. Can you hit a button and just have it spit out a VHD for us that we can upload into Azure Remote App? And so in testing that, we were actually able to do it. It was pretty simple since we do all that, a lot of that already. Um, the second we built our first VHD and uploaded it there, we realized, well, we could do that to PVS, right? We could do that to View Composer. We could do that anywhere. Uh, so they did open the, that door. Now, where do we think it's going to go? Um, well, we've got, you know, our first automated release was PVS and Azure. Um, PVS was first because we saw a big market opportunity there. Uh, MCS and um, View Composer are two other provisioning uh, mechanisms that we're building. All we have to do is build these things we call connectors, which is just a little code that knows how to talk to uh, that specific uh, tool, right? One might use PowerShell, one we might have to, to uh, use PowerCLI on the VMware side, whatever it is. Um, but we also write connectors for different platforms, meaning uh, if you want to copy it to vSphere, right, we need to be able to talk to vSphere. If we uh, want to talk to Hyper-V, we might be using PowerShell to talk to Hyper-V. Um, but we're also looking at <clears throat> uh, Acropolis, uh, KVM uh, from Nutanix will be on the list. Uh, and we also have a couple other cloud providers that we're talking to about, you know, they've got these same problems. They don't allow any access to the servers, right? You, they really just have a few APIs to, to pull up an image or do whatever. And so we're looking at, all right, how do we build connectors for those? I, I, for those? I think throughout this year, what you'll see is PVS, MCS, View Composer. You'll see the, you know, what we kind of consider the three major or four major hypervisors, right? The KVM, the vSphere, the... Uh, Hyper-V and, and probably Zen server at some point this year. Um, but the cool thing is if someone wants to try this on Acropolis or on Zen server today, even though we don't have an automated connector, 
we're just outputting a, a virtual disk. They can take that and copy it to MCS, or they can take and copy it to, to Zen server and fire it up. And then of course our elastic layers, they don't care. Uh, they don't care what you're running on, right? They run in Windows. So uh, I think by the end of this year, you'll see all the major hypervisors, the four major hypervisors I talked about, and then probably the three or four major on-prem provisioning and we're hoping to have three cloud providers. So there's, there's a whole lot of moving stuff this year, that's for sure. Yeah, very nice. Sounds like 2016 will be even busier for you guys on the Unidesk team. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. And then, uh, you know, another thing, too, we mentioned, like, you know, Azure and Microsoft. So we had uh, Thomas Willingham on, you know, from the Microsoft RDS team um, on, on not too long ago. And it was, it was kind of funny because you guys are kind of like, you know, peanut butter and jelly, peas and carrots type thing, um, because, you know, we kind of hit them on, you know, okay, so you guys have image management for VDI. Are you guys ever going to do anything for RDSH? And his first thing was, well, we partner with Unidesk, and they're a great partner of ours. Um, so a, a couple things there. Do you see that partnership, you know, going further, becoming um, more closer? Or, you know, it kind of makes some wonder, is Unidesk uh, a, a target acquisition from Microsoft at some point? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you hear a lot of you hear a lot of talk, um, never from people at Microsoft, right? You hear people in the rest of the industry. Oh, yeah, Microsoft's going to, you know, should be looking at you. They're going to buy you or whatever. And um, Microsoft's big focus right now is Azure. I mean, everything's Azure. When you meet with Microsoft people, do they care about their on-prem products? Yeah, right. You know, their RDS stuff and, and AppV and, and all that. But it's all about Azure. And so uh, anything Microsoft ever ends up doing it's going to be about how, you know, what does this do for our Azure services, right? What does this do for our, our, our adoption of Azure, our workloads being moved into Azure? Um, we're going to keep working with them. You know, we're going to keep putting uh, tools out there that, that try to make uh, Azure Remote App or RDS in, in Azure IaaS work better. Um, I don't know what that means to them. You know, you, you typically in the past, I mean, outside of them buying Sautricity and it becoming AppV, right, they, they didn't make a lot of of acquisitions in the RDS space, right? Because AppV was actually bigger than that. It could do normal desktops and all types of other things. So I don't know that there's any real uh, truth to that, but you know, we're just, we want to make a product. If we can make Azure easier to use and consume, well then customers will buy it, right? They'll buy our stuff out of marketplace and, and, and we'll be happy selling them licenses. Um, you know, I like the guys at Microsoft. We've all worked real well together. They've been a good partner. But, you know, as far as getting acquired, I, I don't know. No one wrote me a check, so. <laughs> yeah, focus on being awesome and see what happens from that point onwards, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, I'd agree. I think you guys would be a, would it be a key strategic acquisition uh, for them from an Azure point of view. But, I mean, look, if you're if you're waiting to be acquired, you're just waiting to, to, to go somewhere else. So, no, um, stay the path. Um, keep, keep going. You're awesome. And, uh, yeah, let's see what happens in the future, I suppose. Exactly. Uh, cool. Okay, so one thing we like to one thing we like to ask our uh, guests uh, is, um, you know, kind of away from away from virtualization, away from Unidesk. You know, what does Ron like to do, and you know, what what technology or market are you keenly watching at the moment? Oh man, that's interesting. So I, I actually, I, you know, I'm a shooter. I'm a gun guy. I'm a recreational shooter, and I'm a hunter, and all that. And um, Funny enough, I actually have been kind of following uh, stuff around that, um, uh, especially like I, I've been the last uh, few months, I've actually been reading about how smart gun technology works, right, and how people think it can work. 
uh, to disable a firearm, right, when you're not the authorized user and stuff like that. So I've been kind of geeking out about that and thinking about that lately. And, you know, not around uh, EUC stuff, but in the in the market in general, my big thing is has recently um, been watching the cloud space, right? Because everybody talks about the cloud, but where's its actual practical applications is what interests me more. It's it's and it, it probably comes back to my bias again of of how does that affect the that admin on the ground, or how does it affect the user, right? What does this what does this cloud stuff actually mean to a user other than I can share I can save files on somebody else's server that I don't know where it is. What else can it do, you know? Um, and that's kind of been my geeky thing is, is, you know, how does, how does the cloud allow us to, to change our actual daily lives more than I'm just sharing a file on Dropbox, you know, what's available up there. Can we do more from, you know, uh, to, to not only do stuff with my personal life, my personal finances, the way I live, the way I find uh, things online. Um, but to actually take it a little bit farther. I, I, that's my geeky thing. I like to read all those theoretical articles about that stuff. And, and, uh, that's what I watch a lot. You know, I, you can only look at layering so many hours a day. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't agree more. And it's, it's important to take your head out of the, out of the, out of the game for, for a certain stretch of time, just to, to look at our technology. The smart gun thing I, I've also been watching as well. I mean, uh, it's it just to see what's going to happen next, because I mean, obviously there's growing unrest in that regard and something has to change. Uh, both sides have, have valid points. I'll be honest to say. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was judge dread who, or the, the movie who kind of first <laughs> did the first did the first kind of smart gun where it was loading the, 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 the shooter's yeah. DNA in and, yeah, no, I think we're going to have to move to that point because, I mean, look, if, if something is fired, we need to know where it comes from, right? Or yeah. it can't be fired if, if it's not allowed to be fired in the first place. So, yeah. Well, no, and I, and I, think, I think there's, you know, um, the, I think the problem with that technology, to be, really be honest, to be, you know, a guy who is a, I'm, I'm a firearm guy, right? I shoot all the time and I, I'm also a technology guy. The problem with the smart gun technology isn't so much the tech. It's that the tech's not being developed because of the politics involved, right? Yeah. It's because laws, you know, like New Jersey had a law. I think they're rescinding it now, but New Jersey had a law that said the second a smart gun is for sale anywhere in the country, any type of smart gun, no other guns can be purchased in New Jersey that aren't smart guns. Well, what that does is actually retard development of that technology, right? I might want a smart gun, but they don't want to, these manufacturers don't want to release that because the second they release one little rifle with a smart technology, that's the only thing that can be sold in New Jersey and you know Smith & Wesson and Glock and all these other things can never be sold. I'd like it not that way. I'd like it to say, look, this is the next evolution of safety, right? From we, we, we want safeties on the firearm, right? We want vaults and, and gun safes that we can put them in to lock them up. I would love to have something that, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, some people use uh, some of the companies look at like things like watches, right? They have a watch with an RFID tag that matches up. Uh, some places use a ring, right, that you wear a ring on your hand. And when you put your hand on the pistol, the ring and the pistol match or the rifle matches. I would love to have something like that and try it because, you know, if if it's available and it works and it can be proven technologically that it works, you know, all the time. Well, guess what? I know that that weapon can never, ever be fired without me. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I, it's really interesting technology how they're doing it. I, I think it needs a lot of development, but it has a lot of promise. Yeah, it, it does, too, because it, it's a huge safety concern, especially, you know, being a parent and having kids and, and having firearms myself, you know, having that extra layer of security just in case, you know, 
something ever ha- were to happen is, is 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 a great safety feature. Yeah, and I have and I have you know my I, some of my guns are really really old, right? I've got a I've got my grandfather's side by side shotgun that was built in like nineteen twenty something, right? And it's beautiful, and you know it'll never be a smart gun, right? Because it's it's just the way it is. But would I like to have that option? I'd at least. You know, I, I have obviously no smart guns in my in my collection, but would I like to have that option? Yeah, I want, as a consumer, I want more options, not less. Yep. Right? I agree. And it's sensible technology. It's a, it's it's a technology that's there for 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 sen- you know for sensible use. It, it I agree with you. It can't be enforced from the start. Uh, it needs to it needs to develop into a technology that people actively want to use, not necessarily just a technology that's forced on them. So uh, and the watch idea is is fantastic. I mean, I've been using an app for my for my um for my MacBook now for a while, where if my if my watch and my phone are within a certain radius, it'll automatically lock and or unlock if I go out of radius and. Mm. Technologies like that, as in you know, two pieces of two pieces of thing or two pieces of technology that you'd normally have on you, um, and it makes my life a little more convenient. Not having to tap in my massive password every time I mm-hmm. I go up to my workstation, it, it, it's it's great, and it needs to be moved forward, and it's the future. So, yeah. anywho, yeah, th- there we go. And um, I never thought we'd have a, we'd have gun laws conversations on on frontline <laughs> chatter, but the, yeah, it was it was I think it was well, it was it was well uh, it was well done and and, and fair sided. So <laughs> we're a step further than most politics. Political rounds, I suppose. That's right. So, yeah, cool. Well, look before um, before I hand over to Jerry to, to, to close down. Um, uh, Ron, thank you so much for for coming along, talking to us about the, the Unidesk evolution. It was a fa- fascinating listen, and I feel like I know you a lot better now, despite the fact we've met we've met a number of times uh, from that podcast. Uh, to our sponsors, uh, Liquidware Labs, uh, FS Logics, and uh, Control. Thank you very much for sponsoring us. You guys are awesome. Uh, and I'll hand back to Jerry and to close down. Yes, uh, thank you again, Ron, for coming on, and, and thank you for telling us about uh, Unidesk and helping our listeners understand um, what's been announced and, and what's coming as well. And then just one more point on the uh, uh, the gun ID thing. You know, I think the winner is going to be whatever company can make a uh, an adapter kit for existing is the one mm-hmm. probably going to win in that space. Like if they can make some kind of piece for the receiver or um, mm-hmm. build a new receiver that you can swap out in some of your uh, – some of your firearms, I think that would be a huge movement forward for that space. So, um, yep. we'll, no, be keeping, we'll be keeping an eye on that as well. Um, but again, thank you for coming on. Um, thank you to our listeners. Um, and for myself and Andrew Morgan, thank you for listening to the frontline chatter podcast. Have a good day. And we'll talk to you next time.